friends. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast. Today, we're going to have some dynamic thoughts from diverse speakers with a biblical viewpoint. Feel free to stick around and prepare to be blessed. Hi, friends. Great to have you for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast. Uh, just excited about this Christmas season that we're in. And we thought we'd do a podcast today on the Advent in preparation for Christmas. The season is so beautiful and just the, the birth of our Savior. And I have a special guest with me today. His name is Jack Tierzu. And Jack is a dear friend. I've known him for many years, but I've asked him to come on today and share with us his heart on the Advent and anything else uh, associated with that. But, but just before he comes on, I just want to say Jack is uh, a husband of one, a father of four, and he's got uh, four beautiful daughters between the ages of six and 10. And uh, he's a, a beautiful believer, been 20 years serving the Lord as a, as a follower of Christ. And he's a deacon in his church, but also he's a lawyer. So he's a good friend to have and uh, just a real faithful man of God. So Jack, welcome. Are you there? Hey, greetings. Yes. And just one quick point I, of correction. My, uh, my daughters are six to 12. That If I had four from six to 10, <laughs> my poor wife, she would have really. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so yes, I have a six-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old, uh, and a 12-year-old. All delightful. The uh, light of my life. Wow. And God bless your dear wife too. Just, uh, just, I Amen. think wives are, are heroes, unsung heroes. That's for sure. That's the truth. Well, greetings. And, and of course, Merry Christmas to you and, and your family. And of course, all of your listeners out there in podcast land uh, today, as you stated, I wanted to focus our thoughts toward Christmas and this Advent season particularly about responding to our circumstances in the spirit rather than the flesh. You know, Christmas is called a time of joy, peace, and hope. And around this time, you'll notice that those three singular nouns are usually emblazoned all over the place, hanging from streetlights in stores, offices, and even on postage stamps. Like I said, I, I have four daughters, uh, six through 12. And uh, as I was tucking them in last night, I asked each one of them questions like this. Hey, when you go into Target and you see gigantic, tinselly, bright red signs that say joy, peace, or hope, what do you think Target means? What does the retail world really mean by joy, peace, and hope? And the discussion went something like this. The world, which is surrounded by these words, either does not know the giver of the gifts or does not receive him. And so joy comes to mean worldly circumstantial happiness. Peace comes to mean no stress, no difficulties. You know, think Hakuna Matata from The Lion King. No worries for the rest of your days. 
And hope comes to mean an expectation of getting what you want. The worldly definitions are all wrong and they leave us disappointed and divorced from the source. So imagine, if you will, for a moment that you're hiking up the Colorado River. You're sheltered by many lovely canyons. You have shade and fresh water aplenty. You briefly turn a corner away from the river and you come upon a group of bedraggled hikers laying out in the sun. They are literally perishing from dehydration, exposure, and hunger. And then something very bizarre catches your eye. They have strung up elaborate and beautiful decorations that say water, shelter, food, I mean, even though they've surrounded themselves with truthful sayings like our joy, peace, and hope, they're totally missing the true source, which is the river right around the corner. And they're dangerously close to missing their day of physical salvation. Now, fundamentally, we know that circumstances are difficult for humanity every day of every year. And Christmas, the Christmas season doesn't really give us a break from those difficulties. Like you said, I am a trial attorney. Um, this week alone, I've spoken to someone whose parents both died of the coronavirus on the same day. A person who, I talked to someone who accidentally killed someone else in a car accident. I talked to someone who was attacked by her teenage son. I talked to another teenager who was arrested and charged with drug dealing. I've talked to many people who've lost their jobs, their homes, their loved ones, etc. And you know, many of them are believers. So how does this square with joy, peace, and hope? I mean, can the definitions from the world possibly be achieved? The answer is no. During the season of Advent, we need to be confronted with the truth of who the Messiah is and why he came. He didn't come in power. He came in humility. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's because of our sin that he came. He came into a world that has desperately tried to unseat him from the throne. And he calls us to minister, minister to that same broken world as his humble servants. So how do we respond to God's word and his calling? You know, there's this ancient battle that is talked about in Galatians about how the desires of the flesh war against the spirit. And it finds a very compelling example in the nativity story itself. Two people will hear the incredible news of the Savior. Two people will be deeply troubled. One person will respond in faith and submission. One will respond in anger, vengeance, and destruction. The New Testament 
uh, basically opens with Rome at the center of world power. And Herod the Great is king over Palestine. Now, Herod is Jewish, not by lineage and not by faith, but in name only, probably to appease his Jewish subjects who deeply resent Rome's occupation of their land. And in that land, in a town called Nazareth, there's a godly woman named Mary who is engaged to a godly man named Joseph. And, you know, we don't have time to read the whole narrative now, but in Luke 1, 26 through 29, the angel Gabriel visits Mary with a message. And verse 29 tells us that Mary was greatly troubled. She was going to become pregnant with the Savior of the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. But how could this be? She'd never been with a man. She was a virgin. And how was she going to explain this to Joseph, her family, her town? And of course, going through her mind is that they're going to think she's an adulterer, which is horrible in itself, but the penalty under Jewish law is up to death. So you can see there's got to be a tension going on there between the flesh and the spirit. And how is she going to respond in fear, in protest, in trying to force God's hand in some other way, in stubborn refusal? No. Uh, her words in verse 38 are memorialized. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And how does the Lord respond to her faith? He confirms his plans through multiple people. Joseph, Elizabeth, Zechariah, John in the womb, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, the three wise men, not to mention multiple dreams about where to move and where to stay. Look at the text in verse 29 and compare it to verse 46. Mary goes from being troubled to her soul magnifying the Lord. Mary's prayer so mirrors the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, when Hannah dedicates Samuel at the temple. I really do wish I had time to go through all the parallels in those prayers, uh, because in Hannah's song, she describes a Messiah who would come to preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Mary follows Hannah's prayer structure, recognizing that the anointed king has come. And Mary recognizes her need for salvation, which can only be accomplished by grace. When you're walking with the Lord, you are going to experience a hope and joy like Mary did, regardless of the great difficulty in your circumstances. Why? Because you know that God is totally in control and that he looks upon and cares for we of humble estate and he intervenes in our lives. You do not have to control anything. You are not forgotten. 
in him, you are forgiven. So you can magnify him and recognize his sovereignty in your troubling circumstances. Now that's Mary with the true joy from surrendering her will to Christ. But hit the pause button there. And then put your finger on Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be introduced to King Herod the Great, who's getting ready to receive some very important messengers. The wise men who have seen the star in the east and who have made their long trek to Jerusalem. They come to King Herod and they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have come to worship him. And what does verse 3 say? Herod was troubled when he heard this. Mary was troubled and Herod was troubled by the same news. We know Mary's response. But what was Herod's response to the news? He makes inquiries of the wise men. He makes inquiries of his chief priests and scribes who search the scripture and they actually know that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And then Herod deceptively tells the wise men to go figure out where the child is and send word so that he too could worship. Yet, in Herod's heart, his desire was to destroy the Christ. Notice, the works of the flesh always want to destroy the work of the spirit. Herod is presented with glorious news from incredible men, which was confirmed by the priests and scribes. And Herod thinks he's going to lose his power and his control, and that drives him mad. We learn later on that he puts all the firstborn males in the land to death, and yet he still could not succeed against the plans of God. Both Mary and Herod are presented with words that trouble them, and both respond. Mary responds according to faith, and Herod responds according to the flesh. You know, this Christmas, we can respond to God's word and his calling with faith and submission to him, trusting him absolutely in our circumstances. He's more attractive than what the world can offer, and he is not surprised or alarmed or limited by our circumstances. And when we trust his sovereignty and his role in our lives, he rewards us with true joy, peace, and hope that cannot perish or change with circumstances. You know, on the other hand, we can respond in fear taking matters into our own hands, trying to control circumstances and outcomes, demanding our own personal comfort, seeking approval from the wrong places. Our joy will at best be circumstantial happiness until the novelty wears off. Our peace will only linger for a moment until the next wave of adversity comes. Our hope would Disappoint because the things of the world cannot offer the security our hearts desire. This Christmas, my encouragement to you is that if you are feeling broken, if you are hurting, if you are feeling lonely, if your circumstances are 
just too much to bear. Cry out to him. Jesus is calling you to lay down your burdens and to follow him. He wants you to trust him and his direction in your life. He's calling us to come and be satisfied from the true source. My encouragement for all of us is that we would let him begin the healing and to put a true joy, peace, and hope in our hearts this Advent season. Amen. Thank you, Jack. Those were some pretty stirring thoughts. I, uh, such so much encouragement, too. I mean, the contrasts and the illustrations. I, I, I want to kind of revisit a couple of points there. And I think as we are going about our days and maybe out there shopping and getting Christmas gifts or just talking with people like you had mentioned in your just talking with different clients, the world is definitely broken. They're driven they're unhappy, they're scared. Uh, there's a lot of emotions, I, I feel like, in the atmosphere these days, with a lot of uncertainty. And uh, you started off with, with just this amazing uh, statement about either we respond in the spirit or the flesh. And then you defined peace, joy, and hope from a secular point of view. And I mean, advertisement, certainly uh, marketing certainly capitalizes on you have to have everything you have to please the, 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 the gift that you give must be perfect. But, but there's no emphasis, you said the statement, they do not know the giver. And I, I thought just for a minute, in that great illustration about the hikers, I mean, <laughs> I, I like to I like to hike, but it'd be crazy to see them like, you know, uh, dying of thirst and there's a river right around the corner. I mean, that would be right. third, but, but you said that great statement, they don't know the giver and therefore their peace is just avoiding stresses. Their joy is circumstantial and their hope is all about what I can get expectation. So maybe for a minute, yeah. talk, talk about the giver. Yeah. So we have this incredible giver who sees the lowly estate of man. You know, there, there is this hymn that we sing, um, Oh Holy Night, and there are these two verses in there that it's the end of the first verse, the two lines in there, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Those lines always stir me. Because for 400 years from the close of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there was silence. You know, long lay the world in darkness. And then suddenly the Lord and he becomes a child. He is humble. He is, uh, he is poor and he becomes one of us. And he lives a perfect life and he willingly gives, he exchanges his life for ours so that we don't have to perish. And he does it freely. It's his to give up. It's his to lay down and he does it freely. 
you know, that, that is the gift giver that we have. He rejoices when we come to him and his plans for us are for good and not for evil. And he desires to work. He does. He works all things together for the good of those who, who he calls. And so, you know, here is this amazing good God that has provided all of our heart's needs and has gone and prepared a home for us in eternity where there is no sorrow, where there is no suffering, no sadness. Um, it's, he's just incredible. So, you know, there, there is this concept, this error in thinking uh, for those who don't know the gift giver, that he is somehow out to hurt us, you know, or that bad things happen to us because God is wanting to hurt us. And they don't know the gift giver because that's not what he's out to do. Um, he is gracious and he is kind and he is merciful. I love that. When someone knows the heart of the giver, then the gift becomes more precious. Uh, we, we don't miss the real gift. You know, I, I think of, as you were talking in Galatians 4, 4, it talks about, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman under the law to or made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might be received the adoption of sons. Amen. And because you are sons, God has set you forth the spirit of his spirit sons into your heart crying, Abba, Father. So <laughs> we're no longer servants now, but we're sons. And I, again, when you're when just a random stranger gives you a gift, you know, it might be appreciated, but when your father gives a gift or a mother or someone that knows you, the gift becomes so much more precious. Now you, you spoke, you gave a great illustration between Mary and Hannah. And I love, I love their, their songs and their prayers. Uh, and then you talked about both being troubled, Herod being troubled he's an insecure leader boy yes an insecure person i mean insecurity is directly connected to shame but insecurity can be such a devastating expression can't it yes yeah and i maybe just for a minute you could talk about mary expressed in faith i mean she was shaken and it's not wrong to be shaken but uh we can be troubled by things right we can be discouraged but she she responded she was resilient in faith maybe talk about that how can we when troubling things happen how can we uh rebound and be resilient yeah um that's a you know that is a great question as um you know as i prepared this some of some of the i i i've i've heard it said before, and I think it was Tim Keller who wrote a paper on this. Um, he talks about the source idols that humanity struggles with. Um, and the source idols give rise to the surface idols that we see. For example, you might see, you know, someone acting out in anger and lust um, in, uh, in, in all kinds of ways, but it really 
comes down to uh, to four about four things, which is, you know, the desire for comfort, the um, desire for control, the desire for power, and the desire for approval. And what Mary says, she you know, I love this. Uh, she acknowledges that she when when she responds to the angel Gabriel. You know, be it done to me according to your will. Be it done to your servant. You know, I am a servant of the Lord. So when troubling things happen, you know, she acknowledges that she is, she's humble. Like she is under the submission of God. She trusts the circumstances to him. And if the circumstances are in God's hands, she really doesn't have anything to fear. You know, fear really blinds us and keeps us from seeing the purposes of God in our lives. Um, and I think those, those source idols can really get in the way. Um, like our, our fear of missing out on comfort or our fear of being rejected by people um, our fear of losing control, we, we become blinded. But when we start to understand that God is good um, and that we don't need the approval of man because we are um, accepted in the beloved and our power is futile, but God's, God is omnipotent, we can learn to surrender control. So rebounding would be um, coming to understand the true nature of God and, and, and again, realizing he is good. He's got this under control. I do not need to be afraid. Um, but that's easier said than done, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. But, but I think knowing, I mean, with any trigger, most of it is knowing where you know, where the infiltration is and what the uh, projection is. And so this is super helpful, these source idols, you know, because that desire, you know, the flesh wars against the spirit. It wants us to be superficial, uh, but comfort and control and power and approval, these, these things are, are something that are insatiable. It's like the more we want it, the more we get it, the more we need it, where actually God says, I have a peace that passes understanding. I have a joy unspeakable. I have a hope. Yes. I'm the father of all hope, the God of all hope. You know, people maybe that have lost a loved one. It's like knowing where they are today helps mm -hmm. comfort the soul. Uh, right. Will someone miss their loved one? Absolutely. Uh, and that's a, there's a void, but the love of God fills that void. So I love this. We may, you know, I think of first Corinthians six, we may be knocked down, but we're not knocked out. We may be perplexed. <laughs> right. not like, uh, we're not in a state of confusion. You know, there's, uh, you know, those verses that talk about that, where as Christians, we do get pummeled, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's temporary. Like, uh, because that spirit of Herod, I mean, Herod, he went and killed all those babies, you know, again, based on insecurity, based on fear, based on control, and thousands lost their life. Yeah. And uh, and just to say, 
thank God he's always one step ahead, two steps ahead. He's already sees the work of the enemy and has in first John three, eight, I, I was listening. I was thinking of this as you were reading. <clears throat> it says for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he may destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Yeah. So I don't want a Herod spirit or I want a Mary spirit. Right. 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 You want to comment on that in the closing moments? Yeah. You know, again, this is, uh, this is much easier said than done because, you know, real adversity comes and it can come in great forms. It can come in tragedy. It can come in, in terrible news, or it can just come in the everyday, um, you know, relationships, for example, relationships we have with our spouse, relationships we have with our children. And the way we respond to adversity in our households, for example, um, you know, it, it really reveals what we believe. And it really shows where our hearts are. And, and uh, you know, I, I know you, <laughs> I know you know this, um, you know, it's, it, it's something that as we, uh, you know, as we draw, as we draw close to God, we are confronted with, with some of these weaknesses that exist in our lives. And we have the opportunity to stop and submit in prayer to the Lord and respond the way the Lord responded to us and our need. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if Christ could die for me as a sinner, well, then surely I can lay down my life in response to my child, in response to my wife. I can be loving. I can respond in faith um, and I can be an encourager to those around me. Um, and then when, you know, more when more substantial things come in our circumstances, um, isn't, doesn't that show us just exactly how much out of control we really are? We really don't have power. We really are faced with needing to submit to God's will in these great big circumstances that we really can't change. Um, and that should be a humbling process for us. And it should keep us uh, on our knees and seeking God. But as you are on your knees and as you are seeking God in these difficult circumstances, he will respond to you. And he will bring you a peace that this world cannot comprehend. This is so much, this is so hopeful, Jack, because, I mean, again, it's like, uh, I think of responding is really vertical first rather than reacting, which is more horizontal. Uh, you know, we react out of fear. You know, maybe we react because the plan has changed or we're nervous because maybe my expectation is not going to be met. But I love what you're saying about the family unit here. It's like, again, uh, you know, we're you know, we face the Lord first and then we face the trial or we person or we face the, the financial or the health or because it goes right back to the very first thing you said, God is good. Well, maybe I'm not experiencing the good goodness of God. Well, I would say this, how do you define his goodness? I mean, is it just, you know, God is good if I get my Cadillac and my 401k, you know, 
like you said at the very beginning, we have a very secular definition to the attributes and 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 words of God. But but really, God is good. Like He has given us breath. He's given us understanding. He has given us. We don't know how many times we've been saved from the devil's um, the devil's plots. You know, it's like amazing how we have been cared for. And uh, I just love what you're saying. Like in the, at the very end here, he said, Jesus is calling you to himself. And, and uh, that word submission is kind of an ugly right. word today, but it's, but it's a glad surrender, isn't it? You want to say some last words about submission, the beauty of submission? You know, you mentioned Galatians chapter four, and there was a time that God's people needed a steward over them. They needed a caretaker, they needed a guardian, a trustee through the Holy Spirit, that steward is taken away. We don't, we don't need the law over us anymore. We have the gift of the Spirit, and he's brought us in as sons, and he's given us this great big inheritance, and it, you know, that's the kind of dad that you want to submit to. Right. And so submission means I'm giving up my will, but look, look at what I'm getting. I'm coming into this glorious kingdom with amazing riches from my father who is loving and caring. Of course, I'm going to want to submit to that. And, you know, Christ submits to the father. We submit to Christ. There's this beautiful relationship of submission and, uh, and so all of our needs are met in Christ. So yeah, it is an ugly word because, you know, we've, we've human, in our human terms, just like we talked about joy, peace, and hope, having these kind of worldly definitions, we've given submission kind of a worldly definition. But in Christ, it is, what we gain is unbelievable um, compared to what we give up. See, there it is. It's, it's, uh, it's a glad surrender. It's imagine that what we submit to, we come under the authority of. So if we submit uh, to the Lord, we experience him. And I love what you just said. We give up our will and we get so much more. And I, I think maybe that's a warning uh, we could say to our listening audience today is don't humanize the words of God. Don't secularize based on our experience or or the lack of something, but let's keep the word in its, in its purity and its power. And then, um, you know, it is also in marriage. It's like we submit to the Christ in each other. We mm -hmm. submit to the word in each other. We submit to all of these things that uh, reflect the nature and character of God. But Jack, it's been so good having you, sir. Thanks so much for your time today and great thoughts. Wow. Hey. Merry My Christmas. pleasure. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Yeah, we'd sing a Christmas carol here, but we wouldn't want to scare our audience. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, blessings to you and your dear family. And thanks again for these rich thoughts. And friends, uh, tune in uh, for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast very soon. And God bless you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast. Please find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Your feedback is always welcome.